Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. All right. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. This is the Grace for This City podcast. I'm Justin. We're helping you turn cities upside down. Hallelujah. Thank you for tuning in, friends. I'm telling you, it gets just more exciting every time we get together. You and I. That's right. You and I. And Bob. Bob's behind the scenes. Every time we get together, it just gets more exciting, in my opinion. And uh, we're going around the world, friends, and you're helping us do that. I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, uh, let me remind you of something. If you know somebody that uh, would appreciate getting a free gift, come on, somebody. The message that keeps on giving right here. This is um, episode 26, No Apologies for Being the Church. Listen, we're sending these out to people at no charge, and uh, it's just helping to get the word out there. That's that's what the Lord said to do. He said, get the word out there. And so we're thinking of ways that would be beneficial. Of course, all of our content is on just about every major podcast platform. If we're not on your favorite one, send us an email and let us know so we can get on there. But uh, people can get all of our content for free. We're on Facebook, YouTube. You can watch us, listen to us. Or, again, we'll mail you a CD. Send us an email at hello at gracecitychurch.tv. We'll get it out to you at no charge. Our honor to do that. I want to say thank you to our partners for making that available. Uh, also, let me encourage you to participate in something else. Uh, we're building out a studio, friends. That's right. If you're watching me now, you can see one of our studios here. But we have a facility on our property that the Lord said to turn into three studio sets. One of those studio sets is going to be like a sit-down couch and chair. You've seen those kind of interview-style shows. We want to be able to do that. So that's going to be one of the sets over there. Then we're going to have another podcast studio or move this one to over there, expand it a little bit. We're going to do a few more things with the podcast set. And then the third set is what we're calling Equippers Academy or Equippers University and or. And that's where we can create content that would take somebody from a baby Christian, the milk of the word, and get them all the way up uh, into a mature uh, place. And that's on the meat of the word. And so we can do that, um, be like a headshot with a kind of like a desk setting, more of educational uh, more university style. And uh, so if you want to help with that, man, we thank you in advance for helping us just knock that project out. If you want to give, you can go to the website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give. You got several options there, but in the drop down menu, select the studio project and uh, we're going to get her done. Oh, thank you, Jesus. All of our needs are supplied according to his riches in glory. And you know, Second Corinthians chapter nine talks about people just like you that are a part of this service or administration of how the needs of the body get met. Oh, thank you, Lord. All right, let's jump into the podcast today. Hey, we're going to pick up part two of something that we started last week, and uh, we're just simply calling it Women in Ministry. And this is quite the controversy. I didn't realize how controversial it is. I mean, I knew of controversy. It's something that in our church, in our ministry, has never been a problem. Um, but I know it's been a problem for a lot of people. And so we jumped into a particular resource that we're using. It's called The Woman Question. It's a uh, First, it was a seminar by my spiritual father, Kenneth E. Hagan. Then it was turned into a book called The Woman Question. And uh, you can find this book online. 
it's it's an excellent resource and it, and it, and it not it doesn't just deal with can women preach but it covers a lot of topics as it concerns women some of the more controversial points and really lays out a biblical framework for the need that you and I have for our sisters in the Lord to take their place hallelujah and they're not just supposed to stay uh, stay silent we covered that pretty much in detail last week and we also have to add to this thought our framework, our kingdom framework of head and body. And that was one of the statements that was made in 1 Corinthians. If you've got your Bibles, let's turn there. And he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he said, Let your women keep silent in, in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, Really, I need to deal with um, the way 1 Corinthians was written. And I may touch on that before we dive into it. Um, but 1 Corinthians was written in a responsive style, meaning people wrote questions to Paul and he answered them. And you can find this throughout 1 Corinthians. Uh, let me give you one example really quick. Well, right there is an example of that. But let me give you another one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And so all throughout 1 Corinthians, he's answering questions that they uh, wrote to him. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, he says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. Here's their question. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, some people lift that verse and they make a doctrine <laughs> off that one verse. Listen, friends, this was called a responsa, and it was a very common practice uh, for uh, teachers, masters, rabbis, etc. The students or followers, the disciples would write questions. They would respond back. They would respond, responsa. They would respond back. They would write back. They would answer their questions. And so that was a question that they had. And I can tell you right now, just in the first couple verses of chapter 7, he's like, listen, uh, it's not good that a man should touch a woman. He actually counters that, and he says, no, let every man have his own wife. Okay, so he's saying it is good for a man to touch a woman, therefore get married. Hallelujah. So he's answering questions, answering questions. By the time we get over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, here's one of their questions. This is a statement. This is what they believed, and they're, they're submitting it to Paul for his response. And he's writing to them and letting them know. Now, listen. Here's the initial answer to his question. All right, he says, uh, right here, verse 34, this was their thought, that the women were to keep silent. They weren't permitted to speak according to the law. See, they're asking Paul for clarity. And then in verse 35, that they want to learn something, they don't need to speak out. They need to just be quiet. They need to just learn from their husbands at home. Here is Paul's response, the initial response to this in verse 36. He says, did the word of God come originally from you? <laughs> or was it to you only that it reached? Notice his response. They're saying women must keep silent. Paul's saying, is, is dudes the only uh, you know, gender here that God has spoken to? Did, did, does the spirit only speak to men and not women? I mean, Paul's putting back, like, listen, guys, listen to what you're saying here. 
Do you realize how ignorant? Like, do you, do you realize how distorted your perspective is? I mean, praise God that they asked the question. But he's kind of like, listen, guys, did the word of God only come to men? Did Has God never spoken to women? And so he's saying, um, basically, totally the women could speak because if the spirit moves on them, hallelujah. Now, listen, in Christ, there's neither male nor female. Um, and so what that means is, is that these gender distinctions in Christ are not the most prominent distinguishing factor. Rather, head, body is the distinguishing factors, the anointing, the appointment. Those are the distinguishing factors in Christ Jesus. There's a head, Christ. There's a body, the church. And so we've covered in our series that, yes, women can be leaders if they've been anointed and appointed to be in a head position. Now, they're not head over the husband because the husband is the head of the uh, wife. That's predefined. But that doesn't mean that women cannot be leaders. That does not mean that women cannot be preachers. That does not mean that women cannot be teachers. That does not mean that women cannot prophesy. We have seen scripturally, and last week we covered scriptures dealing with that your daughters will prophesy. Come on, somebody. We talked about how there were women who were teaching men in the Bible. Paul had a team with women on it, and they were teaching people. They were leading folks. They were standing up in front of men and women and and declaring things of the Lord. We talked about different prophetesses that prophesied in in church settings, wherever several were gathered in the name of the Lord. All right, so by the time we get here, listen, if we can't rightly divide this, people, there's something wrong. And this is where traditions of men have made void the power of God. And this is one example where traditions have totally uh, made a mockery of this whole arrangement how silly how silly it is to think that women cannot be used by the lord and how arrogant for a man to think that there's nothing he can learn from a woman through which the holy spirit is speaking all right so that really needs to be laid uh into this pretty strong uh again I wasn't prepared today to do a full uh overview of how the responsa works throughout first Corinthians, but you should do your own study. You'll find, for example, like in chapter seven, you'll find several instances where they had a question. Paul answers here. They have a question. They had a perspective. They had a paradigm uh, that they operated in. They submitted it to Paul. He responds and says, no, the word of God did not just come to men only. And, and, and we can see throughout the new Testament in, in particularly in, in the old Testament too, but in particularly we can see where, uh, again, because this new creation in Christ Jesus, neither male nor female. So now if there were some laws, even cultural things, uh, whether, whether it's Greek, Roman, or even some Orthodox Jewish ideas or oral traditions that were passed down, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff, even with some Jewish traditions. Uh, in Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female, so those don't apply anymore. Hallelujah for that. Oh, man. So, uh, but then if we want to take just some simple, um, you know, if he was uh, even remotely suggesting that, um, you, you know, if, if, if women, uh, like culturally, uh, in like Rome or Greek culture, if it was inappropriate for a woman 
to have that kind of place based on that right there just a like some cultural strategy okay then it would be appropriate then for the body to submit itself to its head so that would be and this is not even a secondary consideration but if somebody wanted to press the issue for like culturally now paul addressed it spiritually he said well the word of god didn't just come to men all right so that addresses it spiritually neither men nor female in christ but then culturally what would be some protocol well then we would default back to well head body who submits to who so let the body then subject itself to its head the body has any questions just ask its direct report and that would clear up uh, any confusion in that arrangement or setting hallelujah all right so let's jump back into here and let's see where did we leave off we left off um for example like in luke 2 uh, there was anna the prophetess the daughter of phanuel from the tribe of asher we read about her that she was prophesying uh, again paul certainly would not prevent women from speaking messages given to them by the holy spirit and this is what a lot of women are facing though like you have these absolutely controlled environments where the men believe that they're to head everywhere over over all women and that's just not true uh it is possible and we see it biblically where women have been appointed uh into positions of headship so the rules the biblical rules that apply to headship would apply to either male or female whoever's been appointed or called into leader uh, into a role of leader like you can find the grace of leadership in romans chapter 12 anybody who has received that grace that's a headship anointing that's a headship grace and so the rules apply about headship to a woman as the same as it does to a man uh, again we know that not uh not all men are head everywhere they're in they're not leaders everywhere i i mean most people are only in a leadership position in a few defined relationships in their life. The majority of the God-defined roles that they play are in a body position. So you can see that just being in a submissive role is not just for women everywhere, and no man ever submits to anybody anywhere. That's just not true. The ultimate mystery is head body, not men dominating uh, women, not males dominating females. That's just not the way the Bible reveals how these roles work. All right, so let's jump back in here. Let's see, we're on page 45 of The Woman Question, written by Kennedy Hagan. Excellent book. So again, Paul would not prevent, you should not either, we do not prevent women from speaking messages given to them by the Lord. Uh, we have a tremendous woman on our pastoral staff. We have tremendous ladies leading uh, several teams in our church. They do a, a fabulous job. We've got some excellent men that have risen up into leadership roles. Uh, again, in Christ Jesus, the distinguishing factors are not male, female anymore. It's head, body, who's been called into a position of leadership. All right, he goes on, on to say here, for the Lord himself says, your daughters shall prophesy. The daughters, uh, uh, Paul couldn't say, your daughters shall not prophesy when the Lord had already said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters, okay? And neither can we. We cannot say no woman can prophesy, no woman can, can preach or lead. 
again, it may have been a cultural situation that they were asking Paul this question, but we don't have that limitation here, not, not even in, in our culture, and we don't even have a biblical precedent to restrict women from teaching, preaching, prophesying, uh, being missionaries. You know, if you remember from last week, Brother Hagan was talking about like in Baptist denominations. They're not the only ones, but definitely you'll, you'll see where this kind of thinking is strong uh, in those particular groups. But he said even when he was in the Baptist circles, they would allow their women to become missionaries and preach and teach and do whatever that they needed to do overseas as long as they didn't do it in the United States. Now, listen, I'm not trying to be disparaging, but that's dumb. Now, the same group, the Baptist group, also had problems with speaking in tongues, but yet they released an article. The SBC released an article here within the last uh, three to five years, and they said this. They released their overseas missionaries uh, to speak in tongues. But if you were a part of the SBC here in the United States, it was still doctrinally forbidden to speak in tongues. But again, if you were a missionary, because they had determined that their evangelistic efforts were trailing behind, quote, charismatic or spirit-filled movements, missionaries, they said to their missionaries, you can read this, this is an actual document, they said, well, if you're a missionary, then you can pray in tongues because they connected the dots that act, that, that was actually furthering the evangelistic efforts of other groups that did speak in tongues. So somebody's got some theology mixed up here. I'm not sure why the limitation here in the United States, but they have released those limitations uh, overseas. So if you're a woman and you're in these groups they may let you do it overseas, but as soon as you come back to the United States soil, you got to stay quiet, sister. <laughs> I, I'm not laughing at them. I'm laughing at the the trap that you and I both can get into of not rightly dividing the scriptures, and that's because we can get into uh, doctrinal or traditional biases, and we don't hear anything but the one thing that we you know think we have over everyone else. I mean, there's several denominations that the the differentiating element behind their entire organization is what they do different from everybody else. And uh, sometimes that just flies right in the face of good, rightly divided scripture, unfortunately. All right, so he's, Brother Hagin saying page 40, what page, uh, oh, excuse me, page 39. He says, I'm convinced Paul was saying that I suffer not a wife to teach or usurp authority over her husband. Yet if the husband were not a Christian, he wouldn't know anything to teach his wife and she might have to teach him. So here's what Brother Hagin's doing. He's saying, listen, even like biblically speaking, the wife is to play the role, uh, demonstrates is anointed and appointed to be in the role of body. And we're not to subvert or be um, subordinate, insubordinate, excuse me, not to be insubordinate to its own head. And so he's saying, look, it would be good for a wife or a body member not to assume that it is the one leading the head when the head's been anointed to lead. And so there needs to be some consideration there. But, But then he says this, but if the husband is not a Christian even, then he doesn't know how to lead his family in spiritual things. 
Maybe he, he doesn't know that he needs to sit down and pray and read the Bible and lead in spiritual things. And so here's where the wife, the body, can step up and begin to take some lead in some of these things to create an atmosphere, a spiritual atmosphere in the home. This is what he's saying. He said, if the husband were not a Christian, he wouldn't know what to teach his wife. She might have to teach him. She might have to show him, hey, here's what the word says. Here's here's what Holy Ghost says. Here's what came out in in a time of praying in tongues with an interpretation that is totally appropriate. He wouldn't uh, this unbelieving husband, say, wouldn't know anything uh, to teach his wife, and she might have to teach him. She might even have to take some authority and, and teach the children and lead the children and teach the children the things, spiritual things in the home. If the husband is not going to take his place and read the Bible and pray with the children, well, then the wife should, and she is not disobeying God by doing so. But even leaving it as the original King James translates it, This is what he's saying. He said, I suffer not a woman to teach. It might not have been advisable in that day in the Roman Empire, in their culture, for women to teach. Again, we saw that there were women that traveled with Paul, and they taught amongst other Bible stories where there were women teaching. We're just talking about culturally. It may have been not advisable for women to do that, at least not very often, culturally speaking. Okay. Uh, let's see here. So in our times, though, this is ver- uh, uh, page 40, even those who take a strong stand for keeping women quiet in the church services have yielded enough to let them teach in Sunday school and in public school. Paul means, though, somebody says that women should not teach men. Again, we reference this. Priscilla and Aquila were Paul's companions in whom he had great delight. And Priscilla, a woman, she taught Apollos at that's Acts 18. And then he said, well, you know, somebody's responding. Well, okay. And then maybe it's all right for a woman to teach one man, but not many. (laughs) Well, if it's all right to teach one man, it's all right to teach a dozen men. Hallelujah. That would be like arguing. It's all right to steal $1, but wrong to steal $5. They can teach. They can teach. Hallelujah. Women can preach. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, And then we finished last week with this right here, Psalm 68. Let's look at this again because this is phenomenal. Psalm 68, verse 11. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. It says this, the Lord gave the word, and then great was the company of those that published it. This is a prophetic psalm. It's talking about the good news, the gospel, and the day in which we are living. And it's troubled some of the opposers of the ministry of women to know that the Hebrew word translated company is feminine. And not just a word of feminine gender, but a word which means woman. Here is the way Isaac Leeser translated uh, this verse from the original Hebrew. He said, the Lord gave happy tidings. They are published by the female messengers, a numerous host. Hallelujah, and thank the Lord for the women that have been called upon by our Lord Jesus Christ to join in the ranks of those of the company that is propelling the gospel forward. Now, here's somebody asking Brother Hagen this question here. Would you sanction the full ordination of women to the gospel ministry? 
some would like to ask, can they fill the offices of apostle or prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher? Well, we read about Anna, whom the Bible calls a prophetess. It doesn't just say that she prophesied. It calls her a prophetess. Now, he says there is a difference. He said, I personally, and he says, this is my opinion now, do not see any harm in a woman filling any of the offices in the church. However, I do believe it would be a little more difficult for a woman to stand in the office of pastor. Yet I realize God would use them here. An elderly friend of ours, an ordained Assembly of God minister and evangelist for years, told my wife and me the following experience. She said, we own quite a bit of vacant land behind our house. And in the summer, I would put up some chairs and hold an open air meeting. Many people on our side of the city came and were saved. And because I had more or less led them to God, we just kept on going and built a church building. As soon as it was running real good, almost 200 in Sunday school, we turned it over to the assemblies of God. I really don't believe in women pastors myself, but because I had evangelized and they were saved under my ministry, it was easier for me to get the church built. This is this person telling Brother Hagen their personal story. A little while later during World War II, the district superintendent of the assemblies came to me with a request. You remember how it was during the war when people would move away from smaller cities to larger ones to work in defense plants? He said to me, we've got a new church building over here and nearly all the congregation has moved away. There's just a handful left and they can't support a pastor and make the payments too. It looks as though the district is going to have to make the payments or lose the property. Would you take that church? This couple was in the insurance business and had an income of their own. She wouldn't have to depend on the church for support. So she told him, just in this emergency, I'll take it for a while. I don't believe in women pastors, but I'll submit myself to you, brethren of the, of, of the district, and to my husband, and I'll go there. It wasn't far from her home. All she had to do primarily was preach to the small group that was left. But God began to bless, and it began to grow. There were only a dozen people when she went there, but soon the building was full and the district didn't have to make any of the payments. She said, many people were saved there, but I wouldn't baptize them. A neighboring pastor would come and baptize them. I didn't preach any funerals either. You see, she preached and taught under the anointing of the Spirit of God, and God used her, but she didn't usurp authority or dictate to anybody. Another woman minister, now retired, was an evangelist mightily used of God. Her husband was not a minister. He was a contractor. She was preaching uh, before he married her. He built houses and became quite wealthy. She built churches. She would go into small towns where there was no full gospel church, set up a tent, or have an open-air meeting. She would win the lost. The touch of God was upon her. Hundreds of people were saved through her ministry. And I can think of about seven churches which are still going today that came into being through her ministry. Well, that's all wrong, someone might protest. If it was wrong, I'm sure God will forgive her for getting hundreds of people saved and seven churches started. But no, it wasn't wrong. She had the call of God on her and the ability to, to preach where others didn't. She went in, uh, she went in, people were saved, and then a church was established. Her husband would oversee it 
and build a church building. She would stay until it got going, sometimes a year, sometimes two. You know, the Apostle Paul sometimes stayed with the group as long as three years. Then she'd turn it over to a, a man as pastor and go on elsewhere. She said, all I did really was preach. We had a board of men, and my husband met with them. He even took all the preliminaries in the meetings. She wasn't usurping authority over anybody. P.C. Nelson, whose notes on this subject have uh, been invaluable to me. Here's what P.C. Nelson says. He says, I believe it is usually best to have godly gifted men at the head of our churches and institutions. But if such cannot be found in sufficient number, let us call the sisters into action. Think how many splendid works that have been built up by the sacrifice of the consecrated efforts of godly women without much help or encouragement either from men. Shall heavy hands be laid on such women as God has evidently called and endowed them with natural gifts and gifts of the Spirit? If God hath called them, who are we to recall them? Let God send them forth because he's the one who did it. And when he gets ready to call them, let him call them. I think some men think that they are God, but they are not. And they need to find that out. Then PC Nelson, who Brother Hagen called Dad Nelson, gave this advice. He says, to our sisters who are preaching, teaching, and even serving as pastors, evangelists, missionaries, we would venture this counsel, uh, this counsel. When possible, get a brother to do the baptizing and be content with whatever place the Lord opens for you. Serve him humbly and sweetly and faithfully there until he calls you off the field. Here's what Brother Hagen is saying. And uh, he's saying that he's got personal examples of women who were called of God to start these churches, to start these works. But in the process of doing this, they even themselves, and you heard it from their own testimonies, they wanted others to be uh, to rise up, answer the call, and come in and help, whether that was some good godly men or other brothers and sisters. But you can see how they just didn't want to carry the load alone. I can tell you as a pastor of this church, I don't want to carry the loan, the load all by myself either. Uh, we have people that God has called alongside of us to help hold our arms up. And this is what he's saying here. It is obvious, it is evident that God has called women to uh, step out and lead, uh, to step out and do mighty things. The anointing of God's on them. The grace of God's on them. The, the uh, fruit is evident in the uh, response to the messages, the people getting saved, healed, water baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. The evidence is undeniable that a woman can be anointed and ordained and called and walk in an office role, say. But here, Brother Hagen and P.C. Nelson, they were saying, hey, uh, you know, if there's a brother that is called, we'll praise God for it. But if no one's called, then who is going to restrict the women from answering that call? Hallelujah. I believe in that 100%. Let me see here. We may pause right there. We're about out of time on our podcast. Um, 
and uh, that'll go on to a, a different thought right there. So what do you think about this? Are you uh, against it? Are you for it? If you're against it, why are you against it? Uh, I don't understand why this has become such a point of argument and contention for so many men. Uh, it's It seems a little bit shameful, actually, that a man would take such a strong stance against God using another woman in uh, you know service to him. Hallelujah. But I tell you, that's how um, em- empowering, in a negative sense, traditions of men can become. Hallelujah. Like you can stare at the plain written scriptures, but yet you've got like this tradition here that is keeping you from rightly dividing the scriptures. Well, I champion you. Hallelujah. If you're a sister in the Lord and you've got a call of God on your life, then I say go for it in the name of Jesus. I say rise up. Rise up in the name of Jesus and fulfill your calling. Hallelujah. Now we got 40 seconds left. So we saw where in the Bible that there was a woman who was called a prophetess. It wasn't that she was just simply um, prophesying. No, she was called a prophetess. And in that sense right there, we also believe that women can be called into the office roles. Now, there are fewer of them, I would say. You know, remember in First Corinthians says, is everybody an apostle? Are all prophets? Are all evangelists? No, not everybody is. There are fewer of them that are called into those office roles. But the question is, are women included in those ranks? I believe the Bible made it clear. Yes, they are. Hallelujah, somebody. Oh, Father, we thank you for it. Okay, we're out of time. Let me give you this. Because we know several women, close friends of ours, that lead ministries. They are in a office even. Some of them are ordained into particular offices. Some of them are leading para ministries. But let me ask you this question here. Let's say that there's a... Uh, a married couple and the wife is the one called to lead the ministry when they go home as husband and wife is the woman just because she leads the ministry is she now the leader of the home is has she now become the head of head of the husband well the bible would say it like this no see we are to submit to one another according to the defined roles and so between husband and wife The wife submits to the husband, Ephesians chapter 5, because the husband is the one who is anointed, called, and appointed to be the head of the home, to be the head of the wife, to be the head of the family. He's the priest of the home. But then over in this other God-defined relationship, maybe the husband takes on a body role where he is the hands and feet serving the calling of his wife in this area over here. She may be the head of the ministry, but she's not the head of the home. You see how we have to recognize these callings and these appointments, and then we yield to the definitions. Hallelujah, friends. Let's not make it complicated. Praise God. Well, I hope this helped you out in some way. We're going to pick up on on this thought in our podcast next week. Join us again for part three, Women in Ministry. Listen, if we can help you in in any way, in particularly by joining our faith with yours, if you need some prayer support, give us a call, 870-741-741. 9099. Leave a message. Somebody will get right back with you. Or you can send us an email. Hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv. This has been the Grace for This City podcast. And until next time, my friends, be blessed.